The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. Are you ready? It's From the Pod 617 Studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's the Boston Podcast with David Yaz and a rotating cast of characters from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. This is our f***ing Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Boston Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, all the ships at sea, lovers, muggers, thieves, thank all y'all for tuning in and listening. This is a production of pod617.com. I'm sitting here in my cozy Westwood studios. Go to the website if you're interested in getting your own podcast, kids. And thank you for sharing. When you share this program, you spread the love. Hit that share button. Tell people that this podcast actually was, uh, you know, it was okay. I'll take that. I'll take any kind of uh, review or quasi-endorsement or whatever. I have an awesome guest, so the show is about to pick up. So fasten your seatbelts, ladies and gentlemen. This is a guy I've known for a long time. His name is, ladies and gentlemen, let's do a drum roll for the yes. Vin DeCiani is here today. Vin, are you as excited as our studio audience? I think so. <laughs> Vin's an interesting guy. He works for an outfit called Affiliated Monitors. He's going to tell us all what that is about. If your company is being monitored, you probably know. So it could be a company that's had a problem and needs to be kept in check as far as compliance and regulations and all kinds of things like that. And sometimes even Vinny may be watching you. Vin, sorry, I did it already. Vin, not Vinny. Vin may be watching you when you don't even realize it. Right, Vin? Sort could, of? Could maybe. Be. <laughs> in a nutshell, what what tell tell us what your mission is, your day to day mission in in monitoring these companies. So, uh, affiliated monitors um, serves, I'm going to call it a, an independent oversight role. Sometimes reporting to the government uh, when a company has done something inappropriate um, and has entered into a settlement agreement, which allows them to stay in business. Mm-hmm. And so, we're watching them as they're in business. Sometimes they have to make improvements. Sometimes they have to not do something. Uh, sometimes they have to take affirmative steps. Um, we're watching them make those improvements, take those steps. But the important role, and it's sort of the, the, the thing that the government likes, is we're testing and validating what they're doing, reporting back to the government that they got it. Right. And they're fixing themselves. You have a, you have a law degree, Vin, you're telling me. I Went do. To, uh, Suffolk, the... A wonderful school right in downtown Boston. Is that, are, are you practicing law when uh, you do this? Well, I still have my license. Okay. When I started affiliated in 2004, I really stopped practicing law. Uh, it was a full-time move into a, a company that uh, was in a space that there really was no business in monitoring. Right. We sort of created that, yeah. um, which was exciting. So it, it, I couldn't do the practice of law as a trial attorney, which I was, and, and run a business and sort of create, I can call it an industry of monitoring and professional monitoring. So gave it up yeah. 16 years ago and haven't looked back. Good for be you. With you. you. I've know. been removed from the law. Well, in a matter of speaking forever, but you know, you and I got, we got to stick together. People that figure out creative ways to use their law degree. I think I'm no longer a member of the bar. I finally went on like 
retired status or something. I want to retire. I'm not going to be retired from this anytime soon. I might as well retire from something. But um, I, st- I do still have the law degree and um, not afraid to uh, show it around every now and again. So uh, Vin grew up in the borough of Brooklyn. You notice I didn't say city of Brooklyn. But he's been in Boston for a long time. So he's a perfect candidate to put into the Boston vault. We put people in the vault. We ask them questions about our fair city or greater Boston or Boston versus New York or any of those things. And then you will not be released. You're a good person to put in the vault because, you know, I mean, you know, you're you're monitoring all these companies. They're in a sort of virtual vault. Actually, what I wanted to say was when I asked you before we started recording, I asked Vin, so do you ever like monitor a company when they don't even really know what they're doing? And we'll talk about that later because you told me to some degree. Yes, I was reminded of the one of my favorite movies is is uh, underrated sneakers with Robert Redford and Cindy Poitier. You haven't seen it. No. So what happens in that they they call themselves sneakers because they're like former government types that now run this independent company. So like a bank would hire them to literally break into their bank to expose the weaknesses, but they they end up stealing something that they shouldn't have stolen and um and you know chaos ensues. It's a great movie. Um Dan Aykroyd's in there, um the late River Phoenix, among others. So sneakers, thumbs up. But anyway, I digress. I digress. Growing up in, um, you spent time in Brooklyn. You, what was it like growing up in Brooklyn? Actually, that's a, that's a good first question. So I was born in Brooklyn. Um, and then pull the mic a little closer. I yep. want to make sure we get your mellifluous tones. Thank okay. you. Yeah, I good. was born in Brooklyn, uh, spent the early years there. Then we moved out to Queens. Um, so my, you know, uh, experience as a young kid was playing on the streets of New York, mm-hmm. playing sports, football, in the, you know, in the, literally in the streets, you know, catching passes in between cars. Nice. And stick ball. Stick uh, ball yep. and wiffle ball and, and football and, and basketball. And all then those, uh, you know, more exciting games of Rio and kick the can down the street and that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, all the so, games that you sort of made up. Yeah. Kick the can. We never played kick the can. We played a game called Colors. Which I guess was similar. Everybody had a color, and you'd stand in the middle with the ball and throw it up, and you'd scream out a particular color. And whoever color that was had to go, you know, frantically grab the ball. Everyone else is running in opposite directions, and they have to stop yourself stopping. Ah, there's all kinds of funny rules. But that is that a lost? Is, is schoolyard our schoolyard game? School? What do we call those street games? Really? Um, is that we used to play football too in right. the street? It always right. helps if there's snow on the ground and there's there's snow banks. You can throw somebody into the snowbank. Are we losing that? I think we have lost it. I, mm. And I think it is just, I mean, again, when I did it, it was 60 years ago. So um, that was a long time ago. I think that, you know, society has changed a lot. I think, um, I don't even know that kids play on the street anymore. I know. You know what I mean? Even just going to a schoolyard, which we did, yep. I don't know that they do that anymore. I think it's more they're playing, you know, video games and that kind of stuff. I think yeah. they've lost it. I think the yeah. kind of sports that they play nowadays is much not pickup games like we played right it's more organized too organized yeah and i think i do i mean i I think some of the best times that that we had and you can see where talent was in terms of athletic ability and what have you or ability to hide if that was the 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 skill but i think you saw the real person on the streets yeah yeah and and it also great in so many ways because great because it was fun because it was often spontaneous. It, it was fun because it was of your neighborhood with your friends. And it was fun because it, it spurred creativity because you weren't given, you know, you play AAU basketball. Okay, well, you show up at this time, like 
like seven times a day, practically, it seems like they're so overscheduled. And you've got this nice basketball court, and that's great. But when you're playing basketball in like a, a makeshift basketball court, or better yet, a makeshift you know, wiffle ball field. My brother's not used to make up all kinds of rules. You know, it's a home run if it goes over there. Right. And so that exercises the brain, right? Yeah. I agree. Those are, those are gone. I think, I think those are gone. And it's for us, Mm. those are the things you sort of cherish for sure. You know, and you try to tell your kids, this is what we used to do. We played on the street. Yeah. And then, they look at you like, yeah, and you used to walk with no shoes to school, you know, six miles a day. <laughs> right. All of that kind Uphill of stuff. both ways. But yeah. Yeah. So did you grow up a uh, sports fan in New York? Absolutely. Still am. So, really? Yeah. Although I'm, a, I'm living in Boston, I'm a, still a giant New Yankee fan. So. Well, good for you. Good on you. Um, <laughs> because, you know, some people uh, can be sort of malleable when it comes to their rooting interest. And I think real fans don't change. You know, my, my dad grew up a Brooklyn Dodgers fan. And... To this day. And then has been in, you know, moved to uh, Brookline when he was, this is true, he was like four years old. But they used to go back to Montreal to um, <clears throat> to visit. And, of course, you, nobody knows this, but Mont- Montreal was connected to Brooklyn and the, they had the farm system there where Jackie Robinson played. Anyway, that was a long way of saying he should, he should have long, you know, transferred his loyalties to the Red Sox. And he loves the Red Sox. But, you know. Two years ago, when the Sox Dodgers in the World Series, he could not bring himself to root against the Dodgers. Yeah. So, what is it like being a Yankee fan in enemy territory? Uh, it's very hard, <laughs> as you know. Yes, yes. <laughs> it is. You have to hide your sort of you know that affinity that you have, mm-hmm. um, and not say it too loudly because, like, I'm really the only Yankee fan in my office. Oh boy! So, and they are fanatical Red Sox and/or Patriot fans, yep. and so. I don't like sports in my office. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, go and root, your, you know, root for your team and enjoy it. But, you know, at the same time, I mean, I think the Yankees and the Giants have had some humbling years, mm-hmm. you know, the last few years as the, as the Boston sports teams have just been, you know, yep. superior. Yeah. And, and so but you, you, you have get, to eat humble pie and just, you know, move on, right? Well, you're a gentleman, and so I know you, you ate your humble pie, but you've always got a couple things on us. I mean, well, the Yankees still have plenty of, you know, the, the Yankees like to point to the total number of rings. I always think that's a little silly because why are you bragging about something that happened between 1920 and 1940 or whatever? Fine. Um, but in, rec- in, in sort of recent rooting history, maybe post-1970, you know, the Yanks are still, you still have more titles like the Jeter era and all that. Not to mention, you have the ultimate thing you can always hold over the Patriots fan, right? To those two big, uh, those two big games. Did you watch those games among Patriots fans? Uh, no. Good. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I, you know, what was very interesting, and I've, I've told the story before, but um, the first time um, the Patriots and the, the Giants played in the Super Bowl for the two week period, because I think it was one of those two week, you know, years yeah, yeah. in between mm-hmm. uh, the the championship and then the and then the Super Bowl. I walk around town um, with a giant baseball cap on, mm. and for those two weeks, everybody was like, "We feel so bad for you. You can go to Dunkin' Donuts to give you a free cup of coffee because you're going to lose." <laughs> you know what I mean? Everyone's like, Patriots "Oh, sorry." We're yeah. nineteen and zero, eighteen and zero, eighteen and zero, entering that. Um yeah, that game. Exactly. So everybody felt badly for me. Mm-hmm. I just I just said nothing. Yeah. I said, you know, be quiet. And, and then the next morning, as you know, after that Super Bowl, it was a morgue oh, yeah. around the city. And 
again, I, I didn't even wear my giant hat for about six weeks. <laughs> Smart man. For fear of what was going to happen. But, mm. uh, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, again, keep it inside. You know. <laughs> <laughs> You're a smart man. Um, does Eli belong in the Hall of Fame? Uh, I've never been an Eli fan. Okay. I'm a Tom Brady fan. I think he's just okay. remarkable. So I think it's borderline. I think he'll mm -hmm. get in only because he beat Brady twice. I think that's what's going to yep. do it. But I, I don't think he was a great quarterback. Yeah, he, I mean, it, it's one of these weird things where you, you can actually draw the comparison to, um, you know, people in entertainment or people in other sports. It's like, how much credit do you give the person who shines so brightly, but for uh, a singular moment, or in Eli's case, twice. I mean, tw twice he had remarkable postseasons, and he toppled Tom Brady and the Patriots twice. But other than <laughs> other than that, he was he was pretty much average, right? And it was weird how I was wondering whether he was watching and paying attention to towards the you know the end of this season. You know, they benched him and they brought him back, and the, his career record was right teetering right around five hundred. I think he finished right at five hundred, yeah. right? Yeah. So I don't know, but Joe Namath is in. You could make an argument that uh, I, I think it's similar. Uh, yeah, a little bit different. I, I, you know, Eli had a much longer career. Yep. Um, but he also played on some really bad teams and right. had some questionable coaches, right? So, That's true. Yep. You know. Um, well, I think you've uh, acquitted yourself well here, Vin. We're going to release you from the Boston Vault. Congratulations. So later in the show, Vin is Vin and I are going to talk a little bit uh, Academy Awards and and if you haven't seen um, Parasite, Vin's going to uh, fill us in because I haven't seen it yet. So I want to hear a few things about that and I've got a, a recommendation as well coming up and good stuff. But before we get there, I want to hear more about what you do, Vin. But and I keep doing these little parentheses. Hold on for one minute because I just need to tell you for a moment what we do here at the Boston Podcast Network. Would you like your own podcast, kids? Because we can produce one for you. Whether you're a lawyer, financial advisor, business owner, or really any kind of professional, you should have your voice heard through this exciting new medium. A good pod podcast is more powerful than traditional advertising. If a prospective client hears your podcast through their earbuds, you're already in their head. Quite literally, pod617.com will help you deliver a message, build relationships, clients, and centers of influence. will delight in being a guest on your show. Aren't you delighted, Vinny, today? This is terrific. Good, thank you. Um, your check is in the mail. Uh, be part of the pod revolution. Visit pod617.com. In pod, we trust. I'm just kidding. Vinny received, <laughs> received no financial benefit from being on the show. Um, so before we start recording, I mentioned, you know, tell me some, what you do is innovative. And I, I take it hasn't been around forever, right? No. Yeah. Um, it, it really, the way monitoring came about um, was um, as the result of some problems that the New York City schools were having building uh, public schools. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, this probably happened in the 70s where um, contractors getting paid, not building the school, buying Rolls Royces, building the swimming pool at their homes mm. and that kind of stuff. Just a lot of fraud, waste and abuse in the public contract space, particularly in the public schools arena, um, caused a real dilemma for the New York City Public School Commission. And so the, really the start of it was trying to be creative mm -hmm. so that the, 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 the Public School Commission didn't have to fire the contractor 
in the middle mm -hmm. of the contract after they discover these things. And so the school building doesn't get built for another 10 years because you have to go back to the drawing board to see, you know, get new bids and all of that kind of stuff. Even though there's been some wrongdoing, you're going to make a bad situation worse. Exactly. You, okay. Exactly. Right. So this was a sort of a, the commission came up with some ideas and out of it, um, there was this model of independent monitoring, um, which we all have to give credit for as the sort of the start of things called the independent, I'm sorry, it's the IPSIG, Independent Public Sector Inspector General. Terrible acronym, IPSIG. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. But it, it is one of those things. But mm -hmm. what it was, was it involved the use of attorneys, engineers, accountants who would go into the contractor's office and literally watch them and make sure that they were doing things according to the contract, according to the schedule, billing appropriately, using the right materials. So it was oversight, so the school got built. Mm. And it was on the contractor's dime. So this was a free service, basically, to the government. Right. And that's a model that started in New York, still exists in New York, hasn't really spread across the country. So the contractor was given the situation, we know there's wrongdoing, this is on you. If you want to continue with this contract, you pay this independent monitoring company. Exactly. Okay, got it. And so the, the, really the thought was, um, as you described, saving a, a bad situation, number right. one, getting the school built, protecting the sort of the public fund, because they were funding it, right? Um, and bringing value. I mean, so the public gets protected, the government is doing its job by oversight, and, you know, the contractor, sometimes that's the only thing they do is public contracts, right. for example. Yep. If they're fired from this contract, they may never work on another public contract. So you might have all these people get, that get laid off because there's no work. It, there's a, there's a, you know, a lot of benefit to using this kind of alternative. That was the start of it. I loved the idea. I mm -hmm. really did. And so when I, you know, thought about thinking about creating Affiliated in the you know, late 90s, or early 2000s, um, that was a model that I looked at. The difficulty with that model is uh, it's very intrusive. And so, you know, it's expensive and it's intrusive. So the contractors around the rest of the country who were sort of facing scrutiny and others um, were not going to necessarily give in to that type of oversight. Mm -hmm. So the monitoring that we've created is much more episodic and it, it doesn't happen all the time. We're not in the offices all the time. Mm -hmm. And so it's just a different model, but it's really for us has worked and expanded greatly, you know, across the U S when did you found the company? We started in uh, January of 2004. It was an idea that I had for about eight years that was percolating in my head. Mm. However, then I finally put it into action um, in 2004. We started in healthcare. Our How first confident were you? Because this is, you don't really have competition, do you? Now I do. Now you do. Back then, there was really there wasn't uh, any. There was the model in New York, okay, right? But then the rest of the country had very little, right? You know? And so there's a lot of unknowns when you start the business. It's like, yeah. is, is there truly a market for it? But you seem convinced. It was the type of thing people were telling you. That's a great idea. We need that. It's a it's a tremendous question. So there was no market, right? It wasn't being used, you know, right. with any great frequency. So government agencies didn't have this, I call it an alternative sanction to use monitoring as a probationary term. Mm -hmm. They didn't have that. So it was also a great idea. <laughs> and so I knew it was a great idea. Yep. And so I, you know, and it was my idea, you know, so the people that I was talking to who were professionals, maybe on boards or had been on boards, attorneys who worked in front of boards, some businessmen, they were the ones that were saying to me, this is such a great idea. It's something we really need. You know, you can't get rid of every doctor. You can't get rid of every right. contractor. You can't get rid of every bank. They all need oversight. So this was an alternative that, 
again, back then, um, I saw it as a great idea, and it really has been over the last 16 years because it's expanded greatly, as you know, yeah. just in reading the papers in terms of how monitors get used nowadays. Yeah, and it's the type of thing where I, w- I would think that it, the need would be immediately apparent. I mean, in the sa- for the same reason that, I mean, you and I both have law degrees, but for the same reason you hire a lawyer, you know, if you want to know whether something you're doing is illegal or not, you can hire a lawyer to look into it and research it from a legal perspective and maybe write you a letter and say, yes, you're okay, or no, you're not. And, um, but for something like um, this, this fundamental question of compliance, it could involve uh, just a whole litany of regulations and everything and may require investigation and everything. And so are you gonna just presume, I mean, in the past, I think companies did, like, do you pay attention to your regulations and make sure you're compliant? Yes, of course we do, that's what we do. We, we care about it every day, but to me, to have the seal of approval of um, an independent company. Now, of course, I know you, the, your company comes in a lot when something has gone afoul, but you're the you're the ultimate band aid, right? It's a it's a great <laughs> it's a great concept. Okay. So think about it this way: um, illegal activity is going to be prosecuted. You hope, mm-hmm. um, and there's going to be consequences that oftentimes are, you know, that's going to either put the company out of business you know, put a company executive out of, you know, into jail and what have you. But below that, below illegality is the compliance piece that you described. Right. And all of the nuance and gray areas around compliance, mm-hmm. which are very interesting, right? I mean, because you could do something that is unethical, but it might not be illegal, right? Right. So there, there are sort of all of these colors of the types of cases that we get involved in. Um, and again, a lot of in different industries, a lot of different agencies, a lot of times uh, what we're looking at is behavior. And is behavior um, you know, acting in accordance with a government regulation? How clear is the government regulation? Right. Is there ambiguity in it, right? Mm-hmm. How do you get a company to act pursuant to regulations? Mm-hmm. Or how do you get a company to act pursuant to a standard or a best practice. Right. Those are the things that we end up monitoring, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times in the monitoring work that we're doing, there is not only looking at whether or not there's compliance with regulations, statutes, practice standards. More importantly, and, and we're seeing this more and more, is the company acting ethically? Right. Is there an ethical culture within the company? Right. So you have these companies that have these I call them sort of these these uh, trophy compliance programs. Okay. Beautifully written, yep. gold plated. You know they're wonderful. Right. They roll it into the DOJ, and the DOJ says, or the government agency says, "Oh, you got this great program. Then why are you here? Why are we looking at you yeah. for behavior which violates your own code?" Right. So the ethical behavior you're looking at is it um, just that a company wants to have the noble seal of approval that you're ethical or is it is it a predictor of other problems down the road or, or both? Of? What you're trying to do is reduce yep. risk. You're okay, trying right. to reduce yep. the risk of something bad happening. Mm-hmm. So you have a compliance program that's in place and it, it is per the Department of Justice guidance mm-hmm. or it's the Massachusetts Medicaid you know, re- regulations. Whatever it is that you have to act pursuant to, you put a compliance program in place. Is that p- compliance program real? Are you training your staff? You know, are you educating right. it? Are you enforcing it? You know, do you have some protection so you can detect whether behavior is occurring? So you're ultimately you're trying to result reduce the risk of something bad is happening. Right. Companies don't know how to do that. 
They yeah. honestly don't know how right. to do it. And right. that's where the third party comes in to look at that kind of activity. I can tell you a company that didn't know how to do it, and that company is McDonald's. And you're the perfect person to ask <laughs> about this. You know about this case? No. The McMillian? Okay. So if you turn your attention to the screen, Vinny, for one moment, yep. this is a new HBO um, doc. As soon as you, you mentioned all these concepts, I, it just reminded me of this, and I'm addicted to this thing. It, they, they've run three episodes of this on HBO. It's called McMillions, and it has to do with how they're – Monopoly sweepstakes at McDonald's, those little like things that you tear off the French fry box. Um, the whole thing went horribly awry. Let's listen to a little bit of the trailer. I have a story for you. This story has got everything. Revenge. Drugs. Greed. Ronald McDonald. Somebody went to the FBI and said, guess what's happening? The McDonald's Monopoly game was fixed. The Bureau thought it was just some BS story. Fast food fraud was not making any list of priorities. Are you kidding me? <laughs> this is what makes my fun meter go. Guy from McDonald's the McDonald's Monopoly from the FBI. game gave millions of people a chance to win. But from 1989 to 2001, there were almost no legitimate million-dollar winners. The FBI told us the game pieces are being stolen. McDonald's was shocked. Conversations on the wiretap were coming in. I'm hearing the name Uncle Jerry thrown around on the phone. We started focusing more on trying to figure out who he was. He's a freaking gangster. <laughs> Uncle Jerry was getting the tickets and selling them to other people. This is a million dollar winning ticket, and he's got it in a Ziploc sandwich bag that's not even zip. Somebody offers you a million dollars. Well, we don't have to listen to the whole trailer, but it. you know, you get the point. So it is. The funny thing is, this is, a, I take it by now, a matter of public record. This this doc is, is just hitting. I didn't know the story. Apparently, you hadn't heard the story. I, I, I don't know whether this documentary is actually breaking new ground, like almost like breaking the story, but it's a very thorough job that HBO does. It's, it's fascinating. I encourage you to watch it, Vinny. And you can tell what happened here. You know, the... They noticed the HBA, this is not a spoiler. I mean, it's a real life story. So I, I don't know if I'm actually spoiling it or not or whatever. You could look it up, I take it. But um, they, someone called the FBI with a tip and said, you know, the last three McDonald's Monopoly sweepstakes winners are related. And, and, and so the FBI said, really? It's like, yeah, they don't have the same last name, but they are related. Look into it. So this one aspiring guy whose voice you heard at the FBI started pushing it, looking into it. Sure enough, something had fallen short. And the reason why, you know, it's good that you're here, Vin, is I, I don't know if it sounds familiar in anything you've ever dealt with. What it gets, what it comes down to is McDonald's had hired a marketing company called Simon Marketing to administer this whole thing. Simon Marketing hired a printer to print the game pieces. And it's not the kind, like when you go into McDonald's and you get the little thing and you look and I didn't win or maybe I want a French fry or something, it, it never would have occurred to me how complex that must be because they're basically printing money. Those little things, I mean, it is currency. You turn it in and you get the million dollars. Um, anyway, so I, ima I imagine in, in theory, this could have been the kind of thing you could have been brought into. Yeah, I mean, what it raises to me Yep. Um, is the integrity of the process. Right. Right. And so whenever, you know, government agencies looking at the integrity of even of procurement, mm -hmm. you know, whether or not the company is being honest and mm -hmm. real in terms of what it's saying, we're going to do, we're going to build the, the next big dig and here's what we're going to do. And this right. is what it's going to cost. Mm -hmm. 
is there integrity in that? Right. You know, once you drill down and then you award them the contract and then all of a sudden the the overages go ridiculous. It, it's it, it really goes to integrity. Right. Um, and so you have to question that kind of thing. But you really have to question it because from the vantage point now of this is all happening afterwards. Right. What could have been done to look at this prior to right. the process? Right. So how careful was McDonald's and their team in making sure that there was integrity in the process? Because yeah. nowadays, you know this, mm -hmm. there's a lot more scrutiny on everybody and That's everything. True, yeah. There's a lot more scrutiny. Yeah. It often there happens. There are cameras afterwards. everywhere. There are cameras everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Right? Right. So why not do this or do something up front to avoid that kind of damage because mm -hmm. just think of the damage it's doing oh, yeah. to the to mcdonald's right mm -hmm. and the reputation and the next time they roll out a game all of that kind of that's stuff right. is now yeah. tested yeah. but it goes beyond now mcdonald's and think of burger king and think of anybody else that's doing these kind of promotional things is there integrity in the process yeah well there there obviously wasn't <laughs> based upon really? what we know but but i encourage everyone to watch the doc i don't know how it quote unquote turns out they've only they've done uh, three episodes out of six so far and it's funny because the way it's this is just very well done and they got such great access to fbi and people who had been pulled into the i'll call it a scam but really what it is is you heard it in the trailer the gangster involved had figured out a way to steal them now of course he's he's got them in his possession but he can't go just walk up one day and said hey i've got six million <laughs> million dollar tickets he's got to figure out a way to funnel it so he goes to people who he knows and he starts and he stupidly picks family members then he picks people that aren't family members and says to them basically i'm going to sell you this right and you're going to pay me and then by the way you're going to pay portion of the regular and the guy's a gangster so he makes up his, his own rules but you talk about the number of people it harmed it, it harmed mcdonald's it harmed the other companies involved and it harmed a lot of these people that got caught up in this this racket anyway but 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 as you're saying yeah. that Think about what happened at Wells Fargo. Sure. Think about what happened at Volkswagen. Yep. I mean, when you start thinking about that kind of corporate, you know, m you know, misdeeds, yeah. um, it becomes sort of cultural. Right. Right? The way you're describing it, this yep. is on the gangster side of things, but... Well, right. You know, but if you're encouraging people to create loans and they're getting bonuses because of it and your, you know, your stock portfolio is going up, that's a culture. Right. right, and then and, and inevitably, it's a lot of these cases. I take it they're seduced by the the possible money involved, right? I mean, yeah, I, you know, it, it, there are sometimes you're right. I mean, th that's outright greed. Um, right. Sometimes it's not necessarily greed that's the driver of the behavior. Sometimes it's because the company just needs more work and they want to keep their people employed, and so they'll look. You know, their compass goes a little bit awry of north, mm -hmm. and you know they're doing that. The, the, the reasons for doing it necessarily are not bad. They're doing it for the right reasons because, you know, they, they want to keep their company employed. People have mortgages, they have school loans and that kind of stuff. But the way they're going about it is all wrong right. to win the business. So they could, yeah, like you say, there could be noble purposes. I'm yeah. reminded of the show Breaking Bad. Were you a fan of that show? I, was, I didn't watch it. So you didn't watch it. Well, it, it it's, it's, even if you did watch it, you might not remember this. It was kind of a side plot, but the... The Skyler, Walter, uh, you know, Brian Cranston character, Walter White's wife is hired as an accountant by her like old friend, Roger Benicky. And Benicky has this company and she quickly discovers there's all kinds of fraud going on. And there's a scene where he, like in a very heartfelt way, said, I had to cut a few corners to keep people employed. Mm -hmm. And you believed him, but it doesn't. 
the feds don't aren't going to care <laughs> in most cases i take it you know i've got some stories um with companies that we've worked with where a smaller company ends up having to be monitored and then we have to go in and figure out what happened not so much as an investigator but really looking at root causes so we can help prevent this from or reduce the risk of it happening again right right and so you start talking to people who have been sort of victimized because they're working for someone or an entity that has done things that are inappropriate. And right. now they're faced with sort of the reality of, should I have said something? Right. I couldn't right. risk my job. You know, I, right. got, and I got healthcare issues. I got, you know, kids, I, I got a mortgage. And the it, culture of the company might've been like, that's just the way it's done around here. Exactly. Like, don't worry about it. And so when you're talking to them mm. and they almost feel like they're in the confessional, you know, when right. you're interviewing them, and they now realize the company, if it's been, they've been forced to do it by way of a settlement agreement with a government agency, so they have to fix things, or the company is doing it proactively because they want to make sure that, you know, that kind of behavior doesn't occur. It really is a release for them, and they feel great that there's a new sort of day that has started, and they get to be really themselves, and they can act with, again, integrity. The thing that I know uh, from all of the years that we've been doing this, and we've done like over 800 monitorships now, the thing that I know is people like working for ethical companies. Yeah. They do. Yeah. They don't want to work where every day they go to work and they, they don't know what's going to happen or what's right. he going to do today or is what's, what am I going to have to do today. Yeah. They hate that. You know? so yeah, and it's, it's, it's a crushing blow when you find out something is going on in your company and that you're part of it. Yeah. Right. Um, when I used to work for Lawyers Weekly, we... I should probably be delicate about this to respect the dead, but the, the, the owner, the founder of Lawyers Weekly was long since passed away, a guy named Ed Pollock, who was really a visionary in founding it. Somewhere along the way, we found out he was, he was um, using a lot of his money to fund this, um, there's no other way to put it, anti-gay campaign to educate the people about the dangers of homosexuality, as he put it. And it sent ripples through us. Now, it, technically, he had no longer owned the company. He was, it, it had nothing to do with Lawyers Weekly, but still, you know, uh, it's like uh, people had to look, you know, people were like looking at each other going, are we supporting this? And, and that's maybe an extreme example of what you're talking about, but it matters. It matters. It does matter. Yeah. Let's um, go into, as promised, an edition of Good Stuff. Oh, that's the good stuff. I'm not perfect, Vinny. <laughs> if I had been properly monitored before, the, the, the button might have been in the right place. Well, not exactly. So you may know, kids, if you watch the Academy Awards, that a movie called Parasite won Best Picture. You know, I go into it thinking it's a horror movie, right? There's some type of parasite yeah, it or sounds, something. Yeah, it sounds like a horror movie. <laughs> Nothing yeah. like that at all. Right. Um, but they are parasites. Mm -hmm. um, and um, the way I can describe the movie is my reaction to it. Mm -hmm. And my reaction was... I'm watching a masterpiece, um, mm. and it, it took a little while. It's a little bit slow to get started. Not to mention the subtitles are, are not what we're used to. Right, it's in Korean. Right, um, and it, all Korean actors, and you know, you hear an occasional word in there that's English, uh -huh. but um, you know, the 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 acting is is just um, spot on. I mean, each of the characters, the kids, the parents, the 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 rich family and their kids. Um, the whole story, it just moves. It doesn't move at a great pace. It's a longer movie. But every moment is just chock full of great dialogue, intrigue, and plot twists. And it just keeps going. Yeah. It just goes on for the rest of the movie. 
to the point that, you know, you're sitting there, and I, I have to watch it again now because I was so absorbed by the story, but the direction is magnificent. The cinematography is great. The director, I feel like I know him now because I saw him walk up to the stage like four times. At the they yeah, won, I mean, yep. think about this. They won not only for best foreign film, right. but best for best film. Think, right. That I think that's never happened. No, I mean, I remember, um, let's see, Life is Beautiful, the uh, Roberto Benigni movie about the Holocaust. That was nominated for best picture and it won best uh, foreign pick, but it did not win best picture. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I, the, the, again, reaction was great movie. I wish more movies were like this yeah. because it, it makes you think it's not, you know, a Hollywood type of movie. It's just one of those, right. almost those foreign films that you just get absorbed in. Yeah. Um, but you do have to deal with the dialogue and, you know, and the, and the, and the subtitles. I, I said, we're not used to it, but I'm getting more and more used to it. I, I don't know. It's, it's probably like me getting old and not being able to hear as well. Or it's this weird thing with sometimes with different, I feel like every time I turn on my TV, I'm on a different streaming thing. And sometimes the volume is super loud and sometimes it's not. And sometimes the characters say things under, I leave the subtitles on a lot. Yeah. You know, I agree with you. In case I yeah. miss something, you know, it's, it's, you. it's right there. So my last point yeah. is it's a movie that you have to work at you, like know, you have like to yeah. exactly I yeah. mean, you have to think and you have to be paying attention. You can't go into the kitchen and come back. You have to stay with it. That's a good time. But it's so rewarding. And it, I, I can't recommend it more highly. All right. Parasite. Best movie I've seen in years. Yes. Sorry about the thing with the trailer. It didn't occur <laughs> to me. What an idiot I am. Um, but the, the so, yeah, of course, movies Parasite. Still, I don't know if it's still in theaters. Still in theaters? I think it is. Uh, yeah, well, I'll check it out, people. Google it. I don't have to do all the work for you, after all. When a, movie, when a foreign movie gets this much uh, buzz, it's exciting because I, I know it's, I just know it's going to be good because otherwise we wouldn't have heard boo about it. Um, and the Academy Awards, I guess you, you did the right thing, kids. I'm going to do a recommendation on something that it's um, an NFL d short documentary that just came out. Very familiar subject. Take a listen to the trailer of this. It's in English. Did anyone see it? Hey, did someone take my jersey? I put it in my bag. The NFL is the greatest reality show on the planet. Forget the Kardashians and everything else. This is the greatest reality show. Tom, did you find your jersey? You didn't find it? You have the greatest comeback in NFL history. You have the greatest caper in sports history. Someone stole my game jersey. There's nothing that good police officers enjoy more than a whodunit. The winning quarterback's jersey uh, somehow disappeared. This was an inside oh. job. We started reviewing the different camera angles. Everybody in this seemed to have a role apart from this one individual. They compared that person's face to a database of about 800 people. The 847th individual, everybody said, bingo, that's him. So at what point did you decide to go into the Patriots locker room? Oh, it's good. It's good. So I just I just watched this last night. The great Brady heist uh, from NFL Films and uh, on the NFL Network or maybe even on ESPN. I don't know. Find it, people. You'll find it. But um, so do you remember that when Brady's jersey was uh, stolen? Of course. Yeah. And so what we know is no secret. It was returned. But what you heard at the end of the trailer was the the NFL documentarians um, got the guy to sit down with them and um, they presented very well. But the I can't think of any other way to say this. So forgive me. But the balls on that guy. The ball, <laughs> like, And you hear like um, 
you know, sure enough, it's funny. There was, there was a, there's a tip uh, early in the, in the doc, you find there's a tip from a guy who actually was contacted by this guy who stole the jersey foolishly. In other words, he said, hey, I've got this Super Bowl. Uh, and the guy was like, how did you get that? And, um, and it crumbled from there from the guy. But these days, you're again, is, I'm glad you're here, Ben. So many things protecting against this. The cam- All the cameras at the Super Bowl for crying out loud. It's amazing he even got out of the building, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that's a, you know, it's a great point. And I'll expand on it a little bit. Mm. There's much more scrutiny on everybody. Today. Right. Every yeah. company is being looked at. You've got people on the inside. You've got people on the outside. You've got public, you know, like a public interest groups that are looking at companies. I mean, I'm monitoring some very large companies. And, right. you know, one of the things that we use, one of the tools that we use is what's the buzz outside of the company about the company? Right. You know, because that's very important information. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's a disgruntled employee is no longer there and he's talking to people about stuff that was going on on the inside that you mm-hmm. might not have access to and right. it might be a lead. But, you know, again, the, I think the point that you're making is the scrutiny that everything is under. The lights are there. You've got video, you've got phones on your camera, you've got, you know, cameras on your phones rather, mm-hmm. you video. Mm-hmm. All of that is now going on, you know, yeah. police cameras. All of that kind of stuff is just part of who we are nowadays. I know. Which makes doing something, again, I'm old now, right? So it makes doing something, you know, that is not, doesn't have to be illegal. It's just like inappropriate. Outrageous. You, yeah. you think about it, and it's like, why would I do that? I mean, yeah. You know, you're going to get caught. Right? right. You would think. And so this guy did, obviously, but watch the, watch the, it's just, it's, it's interesting how it unfolded. It unfolded pretty quickly for this guy. But um, there's there's more to the story than I knew, and it's worth it just to hear the interview with they interview Brady, and his reaction to how he feels about this guy is very telling. I'll just say that, and remember, Tom Brady is the f- perfect human being. <laughs> and by the way, so long, Tom. No, we don't know for sure. We don't know. Anyway, so um, Vin, we're up against the clock here, but um, if you want to get in touch with Vin, it's a affili- very simple affiliatedmonitors.com, affiliatedmonitors.com. If you work for a company that um, piques, this piques your interest, I encourage you to visit that website. Vin can be reached at VDCiani, that's V-D-I-C-I-A-N-N-I, at affiliatedmonitors.com. It's really not that hard. Do people no. screw up your, your name? All the time. Yeah, me too. And mine's only three letters for crying out loud. <laughs> um, I hope you uh, enjoyed yourself. Did we miss anything, Vin? No, no? thanks so no? much. No. Appreciate it. Well, uh, I knew you were going to be a great guest, and you delivered as uh, expected and uh, thanks for being on the Boston Podcast so thanks for sharing this podcast kids thanks for listening thanks for subscribing and sharing and liking and reviewing and just keep sending me more love I needed people uh, I'm okay anyway thanks to our friends at Adori by the way A-D-O-R-I go to the App Store download the Adori podcast player your podcast will come to life wicked cool stuff check it out on behalf of Vin Disiani, my name is Dave I'm just a guy from Boston but if you're not from Boston You must be the other guy. Enjoy the day, everybody. You must be the other guy.